Christ is risen. He is risen it is great to welcome you to this, our third Easter service. Thanks especially for those of you who chose perhaps a less convenient time to be here to make room for our guests at the 10 o'clock hour. It worked, so well done. Appreciate your sacrifice and your hospitality. To all of you, I bid you a warm welcome to this, the greatest day in the history of the world. Centuries ago, I was a youth minister <laughs> in Bakersfield, California. Uh, Bakersfield is the reason that I am an evangelical. I have been to hell, and I never want to go back. <laughs> back in those days when liability wasn't our first thought when we were doing youth ministry, honestly, we did some crazy stuff. It was fun, but it was crazy. One of the craziest things we ever did was something called a Halloween car rally that we titled The Search for the Giant Missing Pumpkin. We had cars full of kids being driven by a kid at high speeds. Do you see where I'm going with this? It would never happen today. And they would follow clues around the city until they reached their destination. Our most infamous stop on our car rally was the local cemetery. It turned out that the cemetery was actually owned by a very prominent member of our church, First Presbyterian Church. And I may not have actually asked his permission to do this thing. My friend, who was the night watchman at the cemetery, was actually my co-conspirator. And so the kids would roll up in their cars and they would jump out and they would run inside of the building. And they entered the rickety casket elevator and were lowered down into the subterranean coffin room. And when the doors of the elevator slid open, there I was, lying on a gurney, underneath a sheet, with the next set of clues clutched in my fist, which was out from underneath the sheet. And immediately, of course, they would begin screaming like banshees. And then someone, finally, and normally it was a girl who was the bravest, would reach out and grab the clues. And of course, when she did, I grabbed her hand, sat up, and screamed at them, and they would go running out of the building. <laughs> they thought they were safe, but in the meantime, my other friend had dressed up like a werewolf and was lying in the back seat of their car. <laughs> it was awesome. Forty years later, when I talked to adults who were kids in my youth ministry back then, they still remember the car rallies, and especially the cemetery. Why? Because cemeteries aren't places you normally associate with fun and games. Cemeteries are places of death, not life. Except for one cemetery, one morning, 2,000 years ago, a morning that changed the course of eternity. I am going to read about that cemetery and that morning. And I want you to do something, especially kids, I want you to pay attention. I want you to count the number of times the word but appears in this story, okay? You count. There's going to be a test. Starting with chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week... At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. All right, kiddos, how many butts were there in the reading? Good job! I knew you'd get it right. Some of the greatest Bible verses in, uh, in all, of all start with the word but. It's a wonderful hinge word. It looks backward at what has just been said, and ordinarily it means it's going to go in a surprisingly different direction. But I once proposed preaching a sermon series called The Biggest Butts in the Bible. I got shot down. I still think it was a good idea. So, by the way, did the woman who was going to do the PR. She thought she had all kinds of images in mind. I still think it's a great idea. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But God demonstrates His love in a, to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But as many as received them, to him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. See what I mean? It is one after another after another. It's great stuff. But the greatest but passage of all is this one. Five times the word appears in Luke's Easter story. And here comes the first one. Very first word out of it, what is it? But. But on the first day of the week. Now, we've got to go back to understand what this means, why, why Luke writes, but, and Pastor Rachel read it for us just before I came up. Remember, there was a Jewish council. It was called the Sanhedrin. They were the big shots, and they had voted to condemn Jesus to death. One member of the Sanhedrin, however, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, voted against them. That was gutsy, wasn't it? And then when the eleven disciples abandoned the dead body of Jesus on the cross, it was this same Joseph of Arimathea who went to Pilate and asked for the body that it might receive a dignified burial. That was gutsy. He opposed the Jewish council. He stood against Rome. Joseph and a few brave women removed Jesus from the cross, wrapped him in a linen cloth, hastily placed him in the tomb, rolled a rock across the door, and then they returned home, heartbroken. It was the beginning of Sabbath, and it would be the worst Sabbath they ever celebrated. And that was that. Jesus was dead. He was gone buried. And with them, all of their hopes were dashed. This incredible teacher, this incredible healer, this incredible miracle worker 
a man who touched thousands of lives, he was gone. They had been so sure that this was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Apparently, they were wrong. And so, they buried him and went home to grieve. But, but, there's that next word, but, but on the first day of the week, on that Sunday morning, early, the women returned to finish the job, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Here comes the word again. What is it? But, but, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Did you know that in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only place where the phrase Lord Jesus is used? The only place. It is significant because Lord is understood to mean God. It references God. And no other place is he called Lord Jesus. He certainly wasn't described that way when he was arrested or brutalized or tried or tortured or killed. But now, in this moment, in this morning, he is suddenly Lord Jesus. And it gives a hint at what is going on. It's going to be something big. The women show up at the tomb. They expected to find a body. Instead, they were met by a couple of men who we later discovered to be angels. They were dressed in garments that were as white as the sun. And those angels asked those women the question of the ages. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And then they continued, and get ready for it. They, they continued, and they said, He is not here, but has risen. There's that word again. Jesus was dead. He was wrapped in linen. His jaw was probably tied shut with a piece of linen around his head so that it would not gape open in his death. His eyes were probably forced shut. He was laid on a stone bed. A boulder was rolled over the mouth of that grave, and he was left there. While everyone else went off to, to their Sabbath rest, Jesus was resting forever, the rest of the dead. He was dead as a doornail until he wasn't. But we have no account of what happened behind closed stones. No Bible writer describes how God did what He did, but one moment in the Stygian darkness of the tomb, Jesus was dead as dead could be. And in the next moment, the God who had breathed life into Adam breathed new life into His Son. One moment, His pierced heart was still. The next moment, it began to pulse one moment his skin was cold and pale. The next moment it began to pinken and to warm. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels ask. Well, because he was dead. And this is where dead people belong. But not now. Now the body was gone. And he was apparently not dead anymore. They have a name for that. Alive. He was alive. Dead Jesus was alive again. Now, they were terrified and they were shocked at the news, but maybe they shouldn't have been because Jesus warned that this would happen exactly like this at least three times in the Gospel of Luke. Perhaps most notably in chapter 18, Jesus said to them, See, he's talking to his disciples about himself. We're going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man, that's him, 
himself by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, all of that seems pretty clear when we read it now, doesn't it? But we continue on. We read, they understood none of these things. Maybe it seems clear to you, but maybe some of it is a little confusing as well, just like it was for them. So I'm going to say it as clearly as I know how to say it. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is an historical fact. It is better attested than any other single event in ancient history. Better attested, by far, more witnesses, more ancient manuscripts, thousands of them. More evidence than any other event in ancient history. And what is incredible about it is this. This is exactly why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Not to be a great teacher, although he was. Not to be a great prophet, although he was. Not to perform great miracles, although he did. The reason that Jesus left his Father in heaven and came to earth was to offer himself in sacrifice on the cross. And then, the most important part, to triumph over death. In his death and in his resurrection, Jesus crushed our enemy, the enemy of our soul, the evil one. He crushed him. He paid the price for every evil act that has ever been committed, every evil thought that has ever been conceived, every evil word that has ever been spoken. Jesus paid the price for that on the cross. His sacrifice and his resurrection offered humanity hope we had never had before. It offered us the hope of forgiveness, the hope of deliverance from shame and guilt. It offered us the hope of a life of purpose and peace and joy. Most of all, it opened, offered to us a, a hope for a restored relationship with God. So let's see now. Hope and forgiveness and purpose and peace and joy. Who doesn't long for that kind of life? And the punchline the punchline of this cosmic rescue mission comes right here. But when they went in, they did not find his body. That is what we believe here. That is why this church exists. You take away the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you might as well shut this place down. You can turn it into a community center or maybe another teriyaki restaurant. We don't have enough of those around here, apparently. Because if Jesus isn't really alive, all the rest of this is just window dressing. But he is alive. And that's why in the face of violence and pandemic and cruelty and death, we Christians still hope. Because Jesus triumphed over the worst that the world had to dish out. That is why we celebrate Easter. It is the most important moment in the history of the world. That is why we are here today to declare that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. So, how shall we respond to this great news? Why not? We can respond with great joy as the women did. Uh, after the angel spoke to them, they got up out of the dirt 
And they remembered Jesus' words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, oh Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. These women, these brave, faithful women who are memorialized forever for their faithfulness and love of Jesus. They returned from that empty tomb, and they could not stop blabbering about it. They were so excited. They told everyone they could what they had to tell. I have, without a doubt, the most beautiful, most brilliant, most talented granddaughter in all of human history. (laughs) Cecilia Grace Toon. We call her Cece My name for her is Shushu. And I just built a shop, and she calls it Papa's Shop, and she loves to hang out with me in Papa's Shop. Here we are together comparing drills. She's got her drill, I've got my drill. She's a great driller. Cece is such good news to me. I am an unashamed evangelist about how wonderful she is. And of course, most grandparents are equally insufferable. That's our job, is to be equally insufferable. But the news is too good not to share. Most of you here today believe in the good news of Easter. Most of you believe in a resurrected Jesus. Now, if you do, what is the natural response to such good news? Well, like the women, you tell someone. You can't help yourself. A dead man rising to new life, that is a pretty spectacular piece of news. How can you keep it to yourself? And yet we do. We American Christians are remarkably and spectacularly mute when it comes to sharing this good news. We say we believe it. We say that Jesus has saved us, has transformed us. But when we then we seem to seal our lips like the stone sealed that tomb, and we refuse to share the news with another soul. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you are a believer in the resurrected Jesus, don't do this, this is a trick. But if I were to ask you to do it, to raise your hand, if you believed in a resurrected Jesus, and then I were to ask you, for those of you who have never shared this news with a single person, to put your hand back down, we might be a little disheartened at how few hands remain in the air. The natural response to great news is to share it. And I cannot help but wonder, believers, if What life might be changed? What single life might be changed if you went out of here determined to be like those women and to share the news of Jesus, His resurrection, with one other person? What difference might that make in that life? So that would be the way you believers could respond. The women couldn't help themselves. They had to share the news. Then they ran to tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. And how did those disciples respond? Were they thrilled? Were they relieved? Were they excited? Were they inspired? Here comes another one, kids. What's the next word? But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Ouch. Another translation says nonsense. I want you to remember whom they're talking to. These, these are not just periphery people on the edge of Jesus' ministry. These were his hand-picked 
11 remaining disciples. These are men who watched Jesus raise a boy from his coffin in his funeral procession in the town of Nain. These are men who watched Jairus, Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. They knew Jesus had power over death. But when these women come to share this incredible good news with them, their response is nonsense, poppycock, humbug. You silly women, you don't know what you're talking about. You might have expected better from the boys, don't you think? But honestly, there might be some of you here this day who would agree with them. You are here not because you are a churchgoer or a believer, but because your family asked you to come. And by the way, good for you. Good for you. You set aside your preferences. You set aside your doubts for the sake of your family. That is kind and generous and good for you. But you don't believe it. This idea of a dead man rising to life seems like nonsense to you too. And if that is you, I have some great news just for you. This may not be your final opinion on the matter. Because many people seated here today were just like you until they weren't. Until the Holy Spirit stirred them to take another look. And that's exactly what happens next to one of the the eleven. Here comes the last big but. Ready? But... Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter was one of the twelve, one of the eleven now. He thought it was nonsense like the rest of them did, but he didn't leave it there. And unlike the others, he was willing to examine the evidence, to take action. I want you to look at this wonderful set of verbs. It says, he rose and ran. He stooped and looked, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He wasn't just believing, not yet, but at least he was on the way to believing. He was marveling. As my English friends would say, he was gobsmacked. Maybe you came this morning in disbelief. Maybe you'd rather be home watching the masters and giant trees falling down in the middle of the, of the golf course. Maybe you came thinking this stuff is pretty much poppycock, but, and this happens to folks every Easter, something has stirred inside of you. Maybe that stone that you have rolled over your own heart, maybe that just moved a, a smidgen. And against all odds, you find yourself saying, hmm. You know, it can, it can be kind of a dangerous thing to say, hmm, in church, because stuff happens when you say, hmm, I haven't ever thought about it that way before. And if that is you, the good news is the Holy Spirit is at work in you. All of us have come to faith, not on our own. All of us have come to faith who have come to faith because the Holy Spirit opened our eyes and opened our hearts. And maybe this moment, this hmm, is a stirring of new faith, new life in you. The stirrings of a hope of a life that is filled with forgiveness and purpose and peace and joy and love. How great would that be? The question is, will you give it a chance? Eleven heard the story, but only one, only one had the courage to go check it out. Do you have the courage to check it out? What would that look like if you did? Well, 
You could come back next week. It turns out that we meet here on Sundays with terrific regularity. <laughs> like 52 times a year we're here. What if you came back next week, even one more time, just to hear me talk about the rest of the story? It's a remarkable story. And as a bonus, I'm going to share with you the most embarrassing moment in my preaching career. That alone will be worth the price of admission. So maybe you'll come back. I hope you will. Or how about Alpha? Alpha is a safe, no-judgment zone where you stoop down and look more carefully at the evidence for Jesus. There's no question off-limits. No question is stupid. No one's going to correct you or judge you or preach at you. Our next Alpha isn't even in the church. It's going to be in a coffee shop. How much less threatening could it be than that? I wonder if this is you, do you have the courage to be with one of those in this crowd who says, I'm not sure I believe this, but since 2.4 billion people around the world do believe it, maybe I ought to at least give it a fair shake. Maybe you'll give Alpha a, a try. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels asked. It's the question of the ages, and it's a good question for today too. So many of us are looking for life. We long for the life I talked about, and we look for it in all the wrong places, in serial relationships, in money and career, in recreation and alcohol and drugs and sex. You are seeking the living among the dead. But, 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 here you are today listening to the greatest news the world ever received. Maybe your story coming in here this morning was, I don't believe it, or I'm not sure what to believe. Well, what if God's next word for your story is, but, but, something is stirring in me, and I have never considered it before. Maybe I'll stoop down and take another look. Father, I pray for all of us here this day, that the resurrection of Jesus will not just be a great story that we remember, but it will be a reality, and it will re-amaze us. We will be marveled anew. For those who believe in and trust you, I pray that you will send us out with new words on our lips and new courage in our hearts to share this amazing news with others who might listen. And for those who came this day thinking it's poppycock, or maybe not quite so sure what they think, I pray, Lord, that you will give them the courage to pay attention to the promptings, the, the nudges that you have given them. I pray you'll give them the courage to come back and listen again or, or to go to, to Alpha and, and give it a fair shake. Lord, I pray that as a result of your Spirit's work today, there will be more of us who will say, I came one way, but I'm going to leave a different way. We pray that through Christ our Lord. Amen. The wages of my sin was death.
out of this place praising Jesus. for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
hand clap of thanks and praise in the house of God.